Giuliano. It is Saturday, the 21st of December, 2019. That makes this, what? what is the number, Pete? Solder Smoke 216, 216, Ralph. Crank it in, crank Two, it in. 216. You know, I think we are the most, how should we put this, venerable of, of ham radio podcasts. I checked the other day. I think it's 15 years this thing's been going on. I think it's in the age of Giuliano, six years, right? Are we into six yeah, years yeah. yet? Uh, I think so, yeah. Oh, man, all right. All right. So, And then also I checked. My, my kids often make fun of me for not being kind of millennial savvy as they are. And uh, But I said, wait a second. I've been on Twitter for a long time. And I checked. I've been tweeting since 2009. That's 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 ancient in Twitter land. So, Ooh. never let it be said that we are behind the times, Pete. Well, I I guess I am. I've never been on Twitter. I don't have a Facebook account, and I don't dabble with that stuff. Well, yeah, but but, but you're pretty you're pretty high speed and advanced here too in other areas, and we'll discuss that today. But let's <laughs> let's <laughs> let's let's start on your bench. You've got a lot of stuff going on there, Pete. Yeah. Well. First of Bill, I'd like to, uh, in our last podcast, I, I put out the call. Uh, if anybody has any BitX 40s, um, contact me. And uh, uh, N2CQR was so kind as to send me two. So I have one of the ones, one of the uh, um, BitX 40s working, but the, the, the Raduino assembly uh, did was not generating RF. I mean, it would not tune you would not get it would it would show on the lcd but there was nothing coming out of the rf so i said okay i could fix that so i whipped up uh, uh my own raduino using a, a nano and a si5351 and a really cool green 16 by 2 lcd and i got it working and uh, uh if anybody is uh is interested uh, they can contact me check my blog and there's an email address you can uh, contact me and I'll be glad to send you the code but it works pretty good it's got two VFOs and it's selectable upper and lower sideband and I actually have it working really well on FT8 and on Whisper so it'll do the digital modes because now the all-important upper sideband is uh, is now a functionality uh, the second second board it's still got some problems I, I made I put the uh, my uh, N6 QW controller on it but um, it's just not working right, and I, I'm going to have to just take the time to signal trace it. Now, I did uh, find one interesting thing, uh, Bill, and, and it arrived the other day, but I have not had uh, time to really um, put time on it. I, I found this company that makes, sells first aid kits, and the first aid kit comes in a really nice uh, plastic box that's got a uh, that's got a seal on it that makes it waterproof, and you can buy the box without the contents, and it's like five six bucks, and it's the absolute perfect size to install a BitX40 in that case. You know, Pete, got, this was my prediction was that the the BitX40 was going to develop cult classic status. Yeah, this people were going to be talking about them. And, and coveting them and trading them, and that the, the price of the BitX40 module would skyrocket. It would be up there with the Drake 2B. Yeah. Up there with solid-state design for the radio amateur. Yeah. Invest now, my friends. Yes. 
as invest now actually uh it, it works uh, quite well on digital modes and once i get it in the box uh, uh i've got some ideas about how to install it in there uh, i was going to just start by installing it and i said you know you better noodle your way through this a bit uh, which i will be doing but anyway uh that's probably something that uh, you'll see on the blog here uh, after we get by the the holidays here and uh, let me not forget uh, and wish you the very best of the holiday season bill well, happy, um, happy holidays to you pete and happy holidays yes. to everybody out there yeah it's uh may uh, may santa fill your stocking full of all kind of really good stuff uh and and there's some very interesting stuff if i can just take a minute you you sent me yesterday a link to hackaday oh yeah our friends at hackaday yeah and and this uh luigi Luigi Cruz down in Brazil uh, has essentially uh, created an, uh, an image for the Raspberry Pi. The image is uh, is software, so that you can just uh, download it from uh, from a GitHub and uh, take a a um, one of these uh, SD cards and and load the image on that and be ready to go. But what he's done is taken um, <clears throat> all these popular SDR software packages and he include that in the image so when you download the image you not only get the operating system for the Raspberry Pi but but you also get all these uh, programs that let you do the the SDR and as a matter of fact the picture in Hackaday uh, some of these SDR dongles have a USB uh, connector on the end so the photo on Hackaday has the USB just plugged into the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> you're you're ready to go. <laughs> oh man, and so, you don't have so, to worry about all the uploading and yeah, the, yeah, and so, the software problems and the IDE yeah, and all yeah. that. Yeah, so the, so the image is all done, and he has it for about I don't know, I, I think half a dozen, maybe maybe more different popular software programs. So I wrote Luigi, and I said, but Luigi, <laughs> you're missing one. Uh, the one that would be really helpful is if he included the Quisk, uh, Quisk download in 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 that package, because then if he did that, uh, I I think most of the ones that he has there are are for receive only. Uh, I may be wrong, but I think most of them are for for the receive these various receivers that they 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 have. I think the Kiwi in, Kiwi's in there and the Lime's in there and a few others that I don't recognize. But as if you did the Quisk, uh, then you'd be in a position that you could uh, uh, hook up um, a soft rock and, and essentially be ready to go. So, you, you know, you plug, in, you plug into the Raspberry Pi and essentially you have an SDR transceiver. I have not heard back from Luigi, but I'm hopeful that he will respond back to me. He... There were some links in there, and, they, and one of those links was his email address. So I'm hope, hopeful of hearing from Luigi that perhaps, and he is a ham. Um, hey, listen, uh, if anybody out there knows Luigi, yeah, lean on him a little bit. Tell him he's got yeah, a message he, in his email box from Pete Giuliano. Yeah, uh, his call is P-U-2-S-P-Y. What an interesting call. <laughs> P-U-2-S-P-Y, he's from Brazil. Oh, man. So um, anyway, that would be really cool because... Uh, even though on on my N6QW Radio Genius US website I show you how to load the the Quisk software, uh, guys probably look at that and say, "That's uh, hard." I know Whereas I do. If you get you get it on the image, you're you're all set to go. You just plug it in, you're you're boom, you're ready, you're all set to go. Oh man, I, I saw that article in Hackaday, and, I, and it immediately my uh, 
the the software that I have running in the back of my head says send this to Pete Giuliano immediately. So I knew I was <laughs> yeah. sending it to the right spot. So uh, yeah. So hopefully we'll hear from Luigi and uh, uh, he'll include that uh, that that package along with the other ones that's in the image and that'd really be nice. But uh, the thing that'd be really cool about that you could buy one of those dongles for. 20 bucks somewhere between 15 20 bucks just plug it into your pie and you got an sdr receiver so there, there you go you know i think Kinda we cool. recently i think i was also reading on hackaday that we just recently passed the anniversary of the dongle i forget what year it is but that was kind of noted as one of the kind of the the uh the important dates in the development of uh hackable sdr stuff for ham radio operators i know i've got three or four of them floating around the shack here now and i've used them at different times for different things but three cheers for the dongle. But great, Pete, great for your adventures there. Your Raspberry Pi adventures continue. Yes. I also yes, want to point absolutely. out that you, you're doing lots of QRP stuff, my friend. And I'm, I think this is very, very good. I mean, you know, you've got Whisper going there. A lot of stuff is, is related to Whisper. The x 40s are QRP rigs. We're not going to mention those afterburners that you pour them into. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, some something really interesting, uh, 40 meters has really been amazing uh dx wise uh, this is the first time a couple of days ago was the first time and it was with the bit x40 i i got spotted in china taiwan uh new zealand australia uh south africa and even the south pole you know i was listening on 40 yesterday i was listening on 40 sideband in the afternoon and a guy was was talking and he was telling another fellow that he had um that he he had been on 40 cw the previous day and heard uh, a Chinese station coming through on 40 CW, which was pretty cool. I haven't, I've never heard, I, I don't think I've ever heard a Chinese station, certainly not on 40 CW, but he was hearing them there. And yesterday afternoon I had 40 on and uh, I was hearing Lou booming in from, from Barcelona, Echo Alpha 3, Japan Echo, booming in. And uh, so, yeah, you're right. It, but but it's kind of up and down. I notice it, it shuts down in the evening here anyway. I mean, I, yeah. I've been listening yep. to it a lot. But, you know, not, not long after nightfall, man, it's it's dead as a doornail. Yep. All well, the bands. Just, all, all the bands. 20 is sporadically open during the day. But it shuts down pretty quickly after sundown, too. So uh, we need some sunspots there. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Well, um, a couple other things that I hope uh, this is next week or so is going to be difficult because we have company coming in for uh, for Christmas and uh, kids are going to be here for Christmas Day. So uh, the stove is going to get a workout. Uh, Pasta Pete is going to have his hat on. <laughs> yeah, Pasta Pete's going to have his hat on indeed. But uh, we, we won't be doing too much uh, with, with radio stuff. But I hope I hope after the first of the year, I want to do want to get that bit X40. And, and you know, uh, speaking of that, um, you, you know, Farhan's intent with the um, with with the micro with the bit X was uh, to be, uh, you know, an opportunity to explore. And and I'm surprised that more people have not tried to build different Raduinos. I, I mean, for the Microbitx, you you of course. And, and are you going to talk about the six? Yeah, I will talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a guy saying he he's got one. Where can he buy a Raduino? And I I sent him an email and said, okay, here's how to do it. Here's the code. And I never heard back from him. So I mean, uh, some guys are interested in hacking but <laughs> nothing where you you might have to do a little work 
But I mean, it is possible to successfully build a a alternate Reguino, and I got one working. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the that was one of the real beauties of the BidX forty, and it's also true for the micro BidX. You know, the BidX forty when the board came out, the module that that Farhan was selling, it had a little VFO built right there, and you would hook up a. Uh, it was a, it was reactor tuned as I recall, and yeah. and that thing lasted all of about ten minutes before everybody decided that it was unacceptably drifty, you know. And it was it was on the board. There was there were, the board would heat a little bit. The board would change. You know, it would bend and contract a little bit. So it was just not suitable for a VFO. But Farhan that's that quickly developed the Raduino to put a digital you know uh, uh i think it was an si5351 in there and okay that t- took care of the problem but this opened up that was that there was that one little connector where you could put in the vfo and uh and i mean i remember at one point i built uh, an analog vfo of course and put it in there that was great fun and at different times i've plugged into all kinds of different vfos i think i had, I had it running off my field tech signal generator at one point um an eight eighty what was what was the eighty ninety eight fifty yeah 8090850s, all kinds of things, you know. So that was that was great fun. And, and I think are, are you still running the as the the BFO? Are you still running the BFO on the board? Or are you taking the BFO oh, on no. the, the SI fifty three fifty one? I got rid of that so this way you could have <clears throat> excuse me upper and lower sideband right. select. Yeah, well, this is exactly the kind of kind of tinkering that that uh, that Farhan wanted to encourage with the BidX forty. And, but I agree with you. I think there's there were you know there there was quite a bit of tinkering going on. But you'd still you you when you read the the reflector the BitX reflector, there are still quite a few guys out there who just don't want to kind of get their hands dirty or get their <laughs> fingers burned by the soldering iron, trying to to tinker or work with this thing. They're they're still kind of much more of a kind of a plug and play mentality. And that's unfortunate because I think they, these guys are missing out on a, on a lot of fun and a lot of a learning experience there. So uh, anyway, three cheers for the BidX40. But you've got other rigs on the bench there too, Pete. I'm, I mean, yeah. I was just, just looking through the blog. You've got the, the ZL2 BMI rig. What's going yeah. on with that? Well, um, I, I have all of the parts. And actually, I initially I thought I was just going to replicate what uh, – by the way, I, I guess I didn't fully realize this, but uh, he, he's another minister as well, uh, the Re- Reverend Eric Sears. Yep, yep. And uh, so is uh, Roger Lapthorne. The, wow. He, he's he, yeah, he, he he's one too. <laughs> so so uh, I, I mean they they're getting a heavenly hand here. Anyway, I thought I'd just replicate what he had, and then I decided against that. So I have um, on the blog, I have kind of a, a noodling of how I do it a little bit differently. And as a matter of fact, um, I, I'm thinking about doing this um, in two steps. I'm going to do, and, and I'm, I'm pr- pretty much concluded this makes some sense, I'm going to make a larger prototype so you can make circuit changes and, and, and optimize it. Mm-hmm. And then once I get the larger prototype working, uh, I'll shrink it down so it'll fit within the the smaller confines of the uh, of the box that I have, so uh, that that. But unfortunately, the holiday is uh, finding its way into any work on that. But I pretty much concluded that I will, do, and I do this all the time. I'll build a prototype, uh, larger size, 
optimize it, and then shrink it down to, to the size that I ultimately want. Uh, I have two filters here. I, I have a uh, 12.096 that I pulled out of a radio, and I have the 4.9152, the uh, 12.096. I'm going to use uh, for the larger prototype and the 49152 for the for the smaller one. Oh man, uh, we'll look forward to, to hearing about that. I mean, what, uh, Eric, I mean, with the ZL2 BMI rigs, it's just it's it's been it's been so great over the years watching the evolution of it from that really really simple, you know, double sideband uh, transceiver that he came up with that was all discrete component. Then later on, he went with NA602s, got a little bit more IC oriented. And now uh, you guys are taking this into the single sideband uh, yeah. era. You're, you're leaping forward into the 1960s here, Pete. <laughs> yeah, Roger. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. Hey, hey, but you also have a Sprat article in the December, the winter Sprat. Tell us about yes, that. Yes, the, the Paisano is the Paisano. has made its debut. It's, it's hard to keep track. You, you need like a you, you, you need you need a scorecard to follow the N6QW progress. Yeah, uh, the Paisano has has hit the streets. And uh, I've gotten a few inquiries uh, about it, and uh, I, although it's funny, <laughs> some sometimes these things get off on a tangent. Um, I got an email from a guy, and and he took the Paisano and he built it, and he said, "I don't like the way it tunes." He said, "So I I I got some different software for the encoder, and he got this special encoder software, and and then he creates." the sketch and it doesn't work and he sends it to me and says tell me why you, this doesn't work well <laughs> I, 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 you want you to do software forensics yeah well I, I'm, I'm saying I, I don't understand what you've done I mean I don't know what this encoder special encoder software that you've embedded in there what it does and uh I, I don't know if he was satisfied with that answer. I haven't heard from him, but I mean, he so I said, well, did you build, did, did you install the software like as provided? And he said, oh, yeah, it works fine. It's just I don't like it. It does it tunes too slow. So, I mean, hey, guys, uh, some of the stuff you got to do yourself. <laughs> or at least not complain about the uh, the stuff that somebody else did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll all work out for him, I hope. Yeah. Hey, this the other thing I spotted. I you know I'm watching your blog. Anything else on the any, any anything else on the no. Paisano? No, no. Just uh, it. Uh, I've gotten some interest in it, but you know uh, the interest is five people and two will build it and three will complain. Oh wow. Well, you know, two steps forward, three steps back, I guess, or three steps forward, two steps back, something like that. Hey, uh, you also had some stuff in there about not the parasite, but the paraset. Yes. This I I was looking at the schematic of it. My first thought, hey, it's like an ET three. Yeah. What a simple little rig. And of course, we've all seen and heard about parasets over the years. And many of our friends, especially in the UK, have been have been building these uh, these little radios. And uh, it's just 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 great stuff. But I saw you had it on there. And so, what's going on with that, Pete? Well, I was just. I, every once in a while, I'll put something on on there just to to remind people <laughs> of, of what you, you know. Uh, you you I look at that and I think of that Regen receiver with the two S six SK sevens, 
And I said, gee, well, we can put an NE602 in there and an SI5351 will run circles around that. <laughs> so it was just a little bit of a nostalgia. Well, you know, I actually operated a Paraset from Ooh, the yeah. United Kingdom Ian. in in g 3 ROOs a ham shack. What a privilege. I, I think we've got video of it somewhere or, or pictures of it. I went over and visited Ian and Tony Fishpool and some of the guys over there in the Dover, in the Do- well, no, not in the Dover area, but in the outside London, we went there, and uh, it was it was really great. I got up to go, go up to Ian's Ian's shack there, and he had all the parasets out there, and he had this World War II key, and I got to call CQ on the parasets. So that was that was great fun. So Almost how did you how did you find how did you find operating it? I mean, was the regeneration smooth? Was it stable? Well, I mean, I think Ian Ian had it all set up for me, and so I just I just sat at the key and called CQ, but and that was about it. But I didn't really have the experience of of kind of tuning it. But you know what? I I really do suspect that it would be somewhat similar to my experience with the ET two, and I'll, I'll get I'll get into this a little bit when I talk about my recent progress. But um, you know. The and 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 Doug N zero W V A made this observation. You know, I've said that you know crystal control is the real limiting factor when you're using a rig like the ET two. So some guys will say, "Well, just make it a VFO." But you know, your receiver is already kind of like a VFO. It's it's this oscillator that's very sensitive oscillator. It's already hard to keep that receiver on the right frequency. If you throw in another oscillator that could be moving around a little bit, again, you're trying to keep it limited. You're limiting yourself to two transistors. So it becomes almost, well, it becomes impossible to have a working rig with a VFO transmitter on the transmit side and the VFO kind of regen on the receive side with two transistors. You just can't can't do it. So that that's the reason you end up with the regen on one side and a crystal control transmitter on the other side. At least you know the transmit frequency is not moving. And you just got to make sure that your receive frequency is, is lined up properly with the transmit frequency. So uh, that's it. And as you said, Pete, the, uh, on the UK side, they had, what, 10,000 HRO receivers right. listening for the transmissions. But it, it, it's difficult. It's, it's, not, it's not easy. But... Uh, and, and you know, because this is the other thing I wanted to mention, and this is another place where you have recently reconfirmed your QRP Hall of Fame bona fides. You uh, built that the, ET2 receiver. That that was inadvertent. <laughs> you accidentally built the regen receiver. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, inadvertent or not, when you, I, I don't know if you caught this, but when you put that little video out, of the receiver in action. I think during the, one of the, the maniacal contests, somebody sat down with a pad and paper and copied all the DX that was coming through. Oh, your, did you see that? No. Oh no, man, I didn't. I, I'm going to dig it up and find it for you. I'll, I'll try to put it on the blog, but this guy said he, 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 he actually listened to that, you know, brief burst of CW that was coming out of your ET2 uh, your N0WVA regen receiver, and he heard all kinds of DX coming through it, like Indonesia, or really kind of wild, you know, exotic stuff coming through. So 
Who who knows, Pete? You could have you could have earned QRP DXCC there with the ET two. Who gives a crap? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I'm trying to I'm trying to help you out here. QRP Hall of Fame. <laughs> All right, so lots of activity there. Anything else you want to mention from your bench, Pete? No, it's just a. This is a busy time of year, and it's actually been cold. I I, I got to tell you, we've we've had some cold weather out here, like 39 degrees, and the garage is 39. That's that that's not conducive to soldering you gotta get some space heaters that's what we yeah. do back east get a couple of space heaters there and try not to burn the house down in the process yeah, that's what i worry about <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right i i, I want I, I guess this will now move to uh my, we'll talk about what i've been doing on hey, my hey don't forget the shameless commerce division. oh man it is shameless commerce division time i know a lot of you guys are involved in christmas shopping um and so the thing to do is do it via the Solder Smoke blog, Amazon search block. Up in the upper right-hand corner, you go to the Solder Smoke blog. That's soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Up in the upper right, you'll see a little box that shows, you know, search Amazon here. Just begin your search there. Search for stuff there, and then you can pay for it via whatever page you have set up with your Amazon Prime or whatever. And uh, soon that stuff will be landing on your front steps, and, uh, and, and a small bit of change will be landing in the solder smoke collection cup to support all of our many technological activities like these new microphones we're running yes. Pete. new microphones we haven't received any feedback so in addition to soliciting uh shameless commerce contributions if anybody lets let's us know how do you think the audio sounds with these new mics that we have bought thanks to the solder smoke contributions and uh and jeff bezos so let us know. Anyway, that's the, the, the Shameless Commerce Division. I can't think of anything else. Anything else to mention in Shameless Commerce? Hey, hey while, while we're at it, um, I, I was seeing something that the, the HQ2, I guess, is pretty far along. Can, can you see anything from the construction standpoint? No, I've, it, I haven't been down there. It was, it was, it was, it's, right, it's very close to the National Airport. Well, they so, were saying that, that they, they have made amazing advances that that this thing is being built in record time so well, they're, they're going to do that and curious. they're going to build they're going to build right close to it off the uh, uh southern end of national airport in between the national airport and alexandria they're going to build a uh, a major campus kind of an innovation campus for the university of virginia system and right there it's going to be it's going to be part of it that was part of the deal so it's going to be a major uh uh, contribution to the area so it's going to be actually i think it's going to be kind of cool so three, three cheers for for the for, for technological innovation let's put it that way oh yeah at the other end of the technological spectrum i just want to i know people are going to going to cheer when i say that the et2 <laughs> adventure has drawn to a close here at n2cqr there's probably a bunch of guys out there thinking thank god for that i'm sick of hearing about that stupid thing <laughs> but I had a lot of fun with it, and uh, but I, the whole time I was doing it, I realized I'm not going to do this forever, because it's a difficult rig to operate with. It's it's uncomfortable. It's hard to make a contact. We're at solar minimum, so this is a bad time to be, you know, going out there with a hundred milliwatts crystal controlled with a wire antenna. Holy cow, that's a challenge. But I, I was really I've always been intrigued by the original article that I saw in Sprat Magazine by Glenn Yingling, W2UW, now a silent key, 
But Glenn made the ET-1. He did it with one single MPF-102 FET. I, uh, I wasn't able to do that, so I made it with two, two MPF-102s. Two, I used J310s, two J310 FETs. I used N0WVA's receiver circuit, regen receiver, Armstrong receiver, and the crystal control transmitter from Glenn's article. Great fun. The, 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 the stats, I put them up on the blog. A total QSO count of 20 over a period, I think it went from like uh, uh, 12 October 12 October to 7 December. Just casual operating, not, not every single day. Every once in a while, I'd think about trying to fair QSO and I'd, I'd make one. So we made 20 contacts, which I think is pretty good. Um, <coughs> sorry. The, um, of the 20... Um, only three were what you could consider random contacts that is not set up by a, an online reflector or um, the, the SKCC SCED page. <coughs> I did use those for most of the contacts, but three were random, and uh, it was great. The last QSO was really kind of the icing on the cake. I was calling CW, I was calling CQ on 40CW with the uh, ET2, and Alpha Alpha Zero Oscar Zulu from Michigan came back. And uh, it was completely random. He had just heard me calling CQ and, and came back. And we had this wonderful conversation. He was uh, out on a kind of a camping trip with a bunch of uh, scouts. They were in a, in a cabin out in Michigan, and he was operating with a wire antenna. He was a QRP guy. And uh, we had this great conversation. It was a real QSO. And you know, I was I was really pleased because when I told him in in CW about the about the rig, he came back and just said, "Wow, wow." And in Glenn Ying, Yingling's article about his adventures with the ET one, he said that he had been surprised how many how many guys didn't seem to react when he told them about his rig. He was really very grateful when when occasionally uh, one of the uh, the guys on the other end of the contact would would express amazement with the uh, with the. What did he say? Holy cow! Yeah. Holy, holy cow. cow. Some, some guy wrote, holy cow. But um, OZ came back with uh, wow, wow. So uh, that, that was great fun. Um, I, as I said, I mean, my lessons learned, 100 milliwatts is not really the showstopper. 100 milliwatts is plenty, but crystal control does cramp your style, especially in the current environment where everybody expects you to be right in their CW pass band. So crystal control is tough. Um, the receiver, I thought, would be, uh, a, a kind of a real constraint. You know, I've been talking bad about regens all these years, but wow, the N0WVA receiver is really effective, even with one FET transistor. If you build it right, it's a real, it's a real learning experience. You, you refine it, you work on it, you tinker with it, but it's, it's really great. I, my, one of my last operations with the ET2 was uh, Walter down in Florida near Orlando, uh, wanted to send me, wanted to get me on to check into their their sunrise net that meets, uh, I think it's seven one two three every morning from eight o'clock to nine o'clock Eastern time um, on CW on the high end in the old kind of the old novice band, and he sent me these crystals. I put them into I put them into old FT two forty three holders and fired them up. They work fine. But it was a bit of a long haul for me to, to make it all the way down to Florida. So I, I never did check into the Sunrise Net. Maybe someday we'll, we'll get this thing on that, uh, uh, into that net. But thanks for the try there, Walter. And thanks for the, to the guys in the Sunrise Net for, 
for trying. Anyway, I did with the rig what I what I had planned to do. It is now up on the wall as wall art in the ham shack. It's up there on display. It was all built on a on a wooden board, so it was easy just to hang it up on the wall. And I've got all the the uh, the call signs of all the stations that I worked uh, written on the board. I've got the dates that it was in operation. The fact that we were operating at solar minima and the the ET2 designation on there it's it's hanging there it looks it looks suitable it looks like one of these it looks like one of these weird pieces of modern art <laughs> that you'd find in the in the mat or something but 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 it's it's better because it's all because it actually works it's an actual transceiver and I and if I wanted to use it I just take it off the wall and I might do that perhaps at solar at solar max but Three cheers for the ET2, for Glenn Yingling, for Doug N0WVA, and all those guys who pulled me out of the noise to, to make those contacts. Thanks very much to all. ET2, it, it, Pete. You know, when I uh, when I think about, I, I was thinking about Umberto Nobile. You know, he's that guy that built the Italian dirigible. Ah, uh, yes, the cr- hero. Crashed, yeah, crashed up there in the yard. They had essentially equivalent of an ET2 that, that caused them to be rescued. <laughs> there's, a, there's amazing stories about these kinds of rigs, especially the receiver. I think yeah. I told the story about how when uh, E. Howard Armstrong was, was shipping over to, uh, to France for World War I, he's on, the, he's on the, the troop transport ship, and he goes and visits the radio shack. And at this point, these guys were using crystal detectors. Can you imagine this? Oh, wow. And, and he says to the guy, do you happen to have an audion tube? All tubes then were referred to as audion tubes. I think they were just triodes. And uh, I don't know whether the ship, the, 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 the radio operator had one or whether Armstrong happened to have one with him. But he pulled it out and then wound up the coils for the feedback and made a regen receiver right there on the spot with this guy. And can you imagine the the the, the leap forward in, in receiving wow. capability if you went from a crystal detector in which you can barely hear things to uh, you know the kind of receivers a, a receiver capability similar to what I had in the in the N zero WVA receiver? It's like it's 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 just a shocking you know orders of magnitude better receiver. Yeah. So that I, th- I thought that was a it was a pretty cool story from from Armstrong and and I thank uh, David uh, W2DAB for sending me that that great book. All right. Now, so w- once I cleared this thing off the workbench, this creates a void on the workbench. You know, in nature abhors a vacuum, a hole, so does the workbench. A, a space. So it was replaced by something further much further along on the technological spectrum and that is the microbit X. I have a version three MicroBitX that Farhan sent to me way back when the MicroBitX first came out, and I haven't been doing too much with it. I put it in one of my favorite, you know, wooden cigar boxes, and I made a few contacts, but I really didn't do much with it. But I decided to work on this thing a little bit, and so I started poking around with it, and I really came to to like it. I like it a lot. It's interesting technology. It's the only double conversion uh, sideband transceiver that I've ever worked on a lot. I mean, the, the Drake 2B is a triple conversion receiver. This is a double conversion, a transceiver with an IF at 45 megahertz and another at 12. Um, but it was just, 
really, really fun. And I, I started because I had been making CW contacts with the ET2. I tried to start making CW contacts with the um, with with the Microbitx, and I was I'm, I have loaded into it software from KDHCEC. Um, uh, Ian, he has come up with a whole set of software for it. That's the one I have loaded in there. And uh, I noticed there was something odd about how they were doing CW. You know, and it's just, it's just it, what, the way they were doing it worked, but it was kind of weird because they would shift when you, when you turned into, when you went to transmit, the, your, your receiver would stay on the receive frequency and without you seeing it, it would be transmitting 700 hertz off your receive frequency. So I, I was used to a world in which, you know, on CW, your, your indicated frequency on the dial was the frequency that you were actually transmitting on. And your receiver or something else was shifting to allow you to hear the other station. But for some reason, they were doing it the other way. I went out and I found some guys who, were, who had made the same observation and they, they made some suggestions about how to change that. And in the course of changing it, I wiped out all of the, <laughs> all of the EEPROM memory st- and everything. That's standard. And I, I, I basically destroyed the, uh, the software, the calibration and alignment of the transceiver. So now I couldn't hear anything out of it. So this, oh, this brought me back into the happy land of Arduino IDEs and downloading software and libraries. That whole world of pain, Pete, that you have chosen to live in. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm back. I was back in there and it's, I struggled with it for a while. My wife can tell if things are not going well in the radio shack, she'll instantly look at me and say, you broke something, didn't you? Something's not working right. And I'll try to deny it, but there's no denying it. I was, I was, I was having a tough time with it, but eventually I I figured it out and I loaded up. Now I have, now I'm I'm happy to say I have the, the latest version of the CEC software in there, version 1.2.1.2.0 is in there and uh, it looks like the uh, they, they have changed the uh, the CW arrangement around now I think what shifts is the BFO receive frequency transmit frequency stays the same but when you're in receive mode on CW it's 700 Hertz off to allow you to hear the other station so that was that was pretty cool well, that, I, I just, that's a real major hardware change too because uh, CW on the original uh, version three BitX was done with audio. Yeah, and it's 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 different. I haven't quite dug into that now. I think now what they do is they turn off a couple of the oscillators and they just have it generated at the uh, operating frequency, and out it goes. Oh, okay. Because that there there was that one stage in there was used on 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 receive as part of the receive audio chain. And then they made it. They made it an oscillator, an audio oscillator on transmit, and dumped that into the balance modulator. That's that's the way that was originally done. Wow, it's it's the kind of thing that that evolves, and it's oh it's yeah, re- it's real interesting. Did you notice on the microbitx? This was what I I discovered as I was going through all this. I hadn't never really dug into it enough. That you know, it it covers all these bands, upper sideband and lower sideband, but when those signals reach the 12 megahertz IF, all of them are upper sideband. Uh, I didn't look at that, but that I, I could see where that would happen, yes. And it was done, done deliberately so that you only have to set 
one BFO, BFO frequency. Good. Yeah. Everything comes through, and the, through the magic, not really magic, through the arithmetic of sideband inversion, the way they've Get got the it bands, set up yeah. is that if you set it in upper sideband, when it reaches the filter, it remains an upper sideband signal, even though it may have inverted once, well, twice. If you set it lower sideband, it's it inverted and comes out upper sideband. So all the stuff shows up there, upper sideband. It was great fun. I used my Antuino that uh, also that, that Farhan sent, and I, I, I scanned the filter in the 12 megahertz filter in the Ubidex. So I got a sense of what the, what the filter looked like. And then I started making sure that I had placed the BFO in the proper place in terms of frequency. If you go too low, <laughs> if you go too low on a filter like this, you wipe out all of your lows. If you go too high, you wipe out all your highs. You've got to find the sweet spot. And for a while there, I was struggling with that. But, but I got it. And uh, it's, it's all working very cool. I, I bought a little, this is another bit of technology I want to mention. I bought a little battery for this thing to, in case I want to take it on portable operations. And now with lithium ion batteries, you can buy a really small, really light battery that actually carries a lot of juice. So I bought, the company is called Talent Cell, Talent, T-A-L-E-N-T Cell. I bought a 12 volt lithium ion battery that has three amp hour capability three amp wow. hours yep pete it's smaller than a deck of cards wow and much lighter than a deck of cards comes with its own little charger you plug it in there and man this thing will run for hours and hours on receive at least on key down it would probably go for an hour or two straight key down all the time so you can see you get a lot of operation out of this thing and the the battery is so small i just put the battery inside the box with the transceiver with some velcro holders in there and so now you don't have to worry about carrying the rig and a power supply the power is inside the box with the rig <laughs> yeah so this, that, that that is really really pretty cool um and there's another thing I'm going to do with this. On portable operations, and I'm, I'm talking about if we go on away on vacation or something like that, and I want to take the rig, I hate having to haul, haul with me a whole big pile of coax and an antenna and everything else. It just adds quite a bit to the, uh, to the, to the amount of gear that you have to carry with you and get through the TSA and all that. And so I spotted on the uh, QRP Guys website, QRP Guys sells this little tuner for end-fed half-wave antennas. In this, I was inspired by the Peregrino, the, the, the forerunner oh, yeah. to the Paisano. In that, in, that QS, in, in that spread article about the Peregrino, they talked about building the rig to be used with end-fed half-wave antennas. So I noticed that QRP Guys has a, a tuner, a really cool-looking tuner for end-fed half-wave antennas and it has it even has a little uh, kind of SWR indicator on it. You throw the NFED half wave out, you throw the counterpoise down on the ground, you key down, and then you turn the little tuning capacitor until the LED goes out, at which point you're matched Boom. to the antenna, and Bob is your mother's, your mother's brother. brother. There you go. Yeah. Boom. So that thing is on order. I know it's a busy time. I hope the QRP guys can get it to me in time but uh it, it it looks like a really really cool piece of gear 
The last thing I'm doing in the whole Ubidex area, Pete, is I'm homebrewing CW Keys. Ooh. Our friend Dean, who lives close by to me here, was talking about how CW Keys have, been, have become quite expensive, at which point you and I responded, how? Build one. Build one. Ha! I built two. I've got them sitting here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put. A, maybe I'll put a picture up on the blog when we post this. But it was great fun. I just went to the hardware store and bought a hacksaw blade. Yeah. Had some scrap scrap lumber, some uh, a few screws, some of that copper tape. Boom, straight key. Yeah. yeah I, there you I go. built two of them, and they're tiny little things, and they will they will go inside the box too. So when I get wherever I'm going, I just open up the cigar box. And uh, and we're ready to roll. So uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I've really enjoyed working with the the MicroBitX. You know, that gets us to you. You mentioned version six is out. Farhan just announced the uh, the release of version six of the MicroBitX. It looks extremely cool. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, so three three cheers for him. This has been a bit of a struggle, but the thing I like about the MicroBitX is that it's still very much, even though it's got the SI5351 for frequency generation. The rest of it is a purely analog rig. And although almost all the parts are surface mount, they're big enough and they're labeled so clearly that you have no problem taking a scope probe in there and checking the BFO frequency or checking to see what's happening with the second IF and all that. It's just just great fun, great easy, easy to work with. So again, another rig that's sort of made for, for tinkering. And uh, three cheers to Farhan for getting out version version six. Hey, I mentioned the Antuino, and I sent you a kit so you could upgrade yes. your Antuino. Pete yes. and I have to upgrade our Antuinos because Farhan was kind enough to send us the original versions, and they discovered some improvements that needed to make. This These were the original, almost like the prototypes that they distributed at uh, the Dayton Hamvention a year or so ago. And... Um, so we had to upgrade. So I actually had to I had to get into surface mount soldering, Pete. Ooh. It was cool. I could do it. I did it. There you go. And I didn't blow the thing up or anything else. I replaced several resistors. I replaced two transistors with the surface mount versions of the 2N3904. Oh, yeah. They're small. They're really small. But they're not so small that you can't do it. It's doable. Um. I had to I had to upgrade the software. This was another adventure in the Arduino Nano IDE. Got through that, and now I could do Antuino filter analysis. I could take a filter and scan it. I don't have to sit there manually <laughs> with my signal generator and my oscilloscope writing out the the output as I move through you know fifty or one hundred uh, hertz increments. You know. So uh, it's it's a great tool, and I I, I did I found an old uh, an old filter from a CB rig, at eleven point two nine seven or something like that, and uh, I scanned a whole bunch of them and I put pictures up on the uh, on on the soldersmoke.blogspot.com blog, so you can see what we're talking about and how how useful and powerful this uh, this tool is the Antuino. So uh, three cheers for the Antuino. And uh, our our Antuinos are now upgraded. I know you have to do yours still, Pete. Yes, yes, I do. At one time, when Christmas is over, you can get get going on this project. Oh yeah. Hey, I, I wanted to go back to something that you were discussing uh, on the, the microbitics and the frequency scheme. 
um, because uh, uh, just to take a minute or two um, to show you the difference of uh, the analog technology versus the digital technology. Tentec, Tentec, um, for the longest time, um, when they were still using PTOs in, in their rigs, um, did not classify their sidebands as upper sideband and lower sideband. The, the knobs said normal and reverse. <laughs> and, essen and essentially, um, they used uh, a PTO that they mixed with uh, crystal oscillators uh, to produce the injection frequency. And on 80 and 40 meters, they put the um, local oscillator above the incoming frequency so that you would get a frequency uh, sideband inversion. So essentially, they were doing the upper, but because it was above the incoming signal, you produce lower sideband on, on 80 and 40 meters. Yeah. And then on the upper bands, uh, it was just a straight upper sideband, which the normal convention is, uh, you know, 20 and above uh, essentially is upper sideband. So that, that worked really well. Now, one of the problems that you run into is, I guess they figured uh, people wouldn't do this, but if you, and, and the way the, uh, in the case of the, the rigs that had digital readouts, they did not, they were essentially reading the frequency of the LO, is, is essentially what they were doing. So what would happen is if you were on a 40 meters and you wanted to do upper sideband because you wanted to do uh, FT8 or whisper, uh, you would find that the dial did not read a true frequency on the upper, on the opposing sideband because there was you you were using you were reading what the you were reading what the frequency scheme was not to account for the the BFO the BFO was not accounted for. So on the digital side, you can do that because in the software, when you switch it, it'll it'll subtract out so that the, the dial may not, when, when you switch, like a lot of the stuff that I've worked with, when you switch to upper and lower sideband, the frequency will jump because it's reading the true frequency. But in the, in the case where you have fixed hardware, it didn't account for that. So you, you, got, you had to be kind of careful with the, with the Tentec rigs and others at least of that era, and I'm talking 19, 1970s, 1980s, you, you put it on the, the reverse sideband, what you read on the dial was not the actual frequency. Oh. But with the MicroBitX, because you can do that in the software, when you shift, you're, you're, actually, you're actually compensating. So when it says 14.2 upper sideband, it is. And when you say read 14.2 lower sideband, it is. Oh, it is, and you, absolutely, and you, you do you do see the benefit of, of the software uh, approach. Yeah, accounting for that. Yeah, because even when you are when you're in your you're fine tuning the BFO, as I was doing, so you you change the BFO. Now, the BFO frequency should be the zero beat frequency for say an AM signal coming in, mm -hmm. right? See what I'm saying when you, yes. you, you, you when you when you when you get zero beat like so so and they actually use WWV so you go to 10 megahertz and you you know you you've you've somehow changed the BFO frequency a little bit it should still be zero beat at 
10 megahertz. When it right. says 10 megahertz on the LCD, it should be zero beat. And with the with the the micro bit X, it is because the the all the frequencies are connected by uh, the uh, the algorithm in the software. In the software, and yes. it's pretty easy to see, which makes it really really convenient. And I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of upper sideband and lower sideband. So, for example, coming out of the um, the first uh, IF filter at 45 megahertz, you go to the second mixer, and if you have selected um, lower sideband. It it's clock clock one from the SI fifty three fifty one sends thirty three megahertz to the second mixer. If you selected upper sideband, it sends fifty seven megahertz. There you go to the mixer, and that results in the inversion or the non inversion. Correct. So that by the time you reach that twelve megahertz SSB filter, you are all upper sideband. Now now I was telling Farhan I I learned this kind of the. Uh, the, the practical empirical way after I scanned the uh, the 12 megahertz filter with the Antuino I looked down and I could see exactly where the passband was and it's roughly 11997 to 11999 flat portion of the curve perfectly flat maybe why why do you say maybe well because of the way Uma <laughs> Uma did the crystals they they have to customize it because the the center frequency of the crystal sort is just like on the bit x40 there were three different bfo frequencies yeah but the the bfo in this one is all from the si5351 right yeah but i'm i'm sure that they scanned what the what the ultimate center frequency was to set those bfo frequencies and it may be custom unless they had some ways that they had that all the crystals were the same uh, well, in my, in my case, it, though, it didn't matter because I'm scanning it, and so I'm, I'm my, everything's right. calibrated, so I know that's the passband on yeah. my particular well, crystal. What I'm just filter. saying is the crystals say 12, and you, the center frequency is not 12. Right, right. No, and, and Yeah, and, and because of the way the, the, the topology of the crystal filter, it's always going to be a little bit off. Right. So in, in my case, it was the flat portion of the curve is 11.997 to 11.999 uh, megahertz. Right. So then I look and where where I have already placed the BFO and I'm happily listening to sideband signals on the correct sideband and I know that I notice that my my BFO is slightly below the passband. So boom, I know that everything yeah, is turning yes. into upper sideband. So it was kind of a kind of a fun sideband geek kind of moment there. But um, Farhan has a really cool block diagram for the the microbitex out there. And uh, I, I found it very helpful in, in figuring out how this amazing, amazing machine, machine works. Hey, Pete, I want to just mention a couple, couple of other things here. Um, I, I, you know, I listened to the um, Ham Radio Workbench podcast that George um, and, and, and others have been putting out. I, I caught one where they were talking about their Christmas wish list. And they talked about this little device available on the net for 8 bucks, a watt meter. And all it is, it's for it's for DC, but you hook it up to your power supply on one end, and you hook it up to your load. In my case, the micro bit X. It it it's powered by the the juice flowing through it. It gives you a nice little digital readout of what the voltage is going to the load, how much how much current the load is pulling, how much watt, how, what's the wattage on on the uh, on the device. And I was skeptical, but for eight bucks, it really works. It's called watt meter. 
and I'll mm. try to get some more info and put it up on the uh, on the blog. But it really, really was a, a useful kind of addition to the uh, to the to the to the power supply arsenal here at Solder Smoke. Really, a lot of a lot of cool stuff. Uh, Mentioning that, uh, I, I keep getting these flyers from a company called Marlon P. Jones and Associates down oh, in Florida. Oh, you send me a couple. It looks really good. Yeah, they have this um, this this panel meter that looks like a like a big push button. It fits in a round hole, but yeah. but it's it's an L, L, LCD and and it'll it'll read. They got AC and DC. They'll read voltage and current. So that that that's probably a similar device and it's. And I think it's in the same price range, so that that's kind of kind of nice to have one of those. And they come in all different colors, so you can, you know, it's always nice to see what what voltage you got and what current you got coming into the the rig. Because sometimes you get fooled. I know it's it's real, real, it was really quite useful and, and and very solidly built, I must say. And so, thanks to George and the the ham radio workbench guys, and uh, I'll put the information up there. So let me let me share a real world experience. Tell me. My my son, my number two son, bought me a power supply, and it's a uh, it's like good for thirty amps, uh, t- you know, thirteen point eight volts DC, and it's got a couple connectors on the back, and then it's got a, a kind of a push push in connector, you know, you just push the thing down, jam a wire in there, on the front, and it's even got one where you can plug a cigarette lighter adapter in there if you had you know the old radios used to plug in with a cigarette lighter, so. Uh, I needed to, just a source of 12 volts real quick. And uh, so I said, oh, I'll just put it in the push-in connectors. And and the circuit I was testing didn't work. I, I just couldn't figure it out. And I so I, I measured the voltage on the backside, and, and it was 13.8 volts. And I'm saying, geez, what's wrong here? And I never measured the voltage on those push connectors. What I didn't know is... There's a pot makes that a variable adjustable voltage on the front panel, so oh, man. I, I was getting four volts, <laughs> four volts coming out the front, and I said, "Man, I didn't even think about that." You know, it, it, I just assume, oh, it's it's like a fixed voltage. But then I said, "Well, that's kind of nice because now you got a variable voltage on the front, but it always pays to measure." The voltage at the circuit, and if you had one of those little watt meters in there, Bill, you would have known there was only four volts. That's the thing. Eight bucks. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Hey, Pete. One thing I wanted to mention. Uh, we always talk about how our 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 affection for the Sprat, the Journal of the GQRP. Oh Club. yes. You, you know, and if you're not subscribing to this thing, you're just you're wrong. That's it. And um, so I'm looking at issue number one seventy eight. This is the spring twenty nineteen edition, and this is typical British understatement. You know, you can't toot your own horn. Um, but <laughs> I'm opening it up, and there's this article they have in there, A Balloon-Supported Aerial. Yes. By Chris, G3XIZ. What a great call sign. And he has this amazing picture of this contraption that he's developed to allow him to crank up the balloon-supported aerial. And uh, But here's the most amazing part of the article. Uh, you should read the entire article. But there's subheadings like location, winding mechanism, balloons. And then here's my favorite part, page six, filling the balloons. <laughs> yes. All right. I'll read you this paragraph. I sometimes use helium gas, which I attain from eBay, 
but find this to be rather expensive. There were several videos online which showed a simple method of making hydrogen gas, and that Ooh. is what I now often do. That's explosive. Homebrew hydrogen, baby. That's it. <laughs> Don't worry about that Hindenburg stuff. All Ooh. right. Here's how he does it. Basically, aluminum cooking foil, Reynolds wrap, is screwed up and dropped into a proper chemistry flask containing a rich solution of caustic soda. Oh, yeah. Why? Don't try, don't try this at home, ladies and gentlemen. This is only for steely-eyed boffins from the United Kingdom. The resulting hydrogen gas is cooled by being bubbled through a vat containing tap water, and from there it is piped into the balloon, parentheses, balloons. The pressure is more than sufficient to inflate a balloon, and a non-return valve is fitted so that the hydrogen cannot escape from the balloon and back into the cooling flask. <laughs> wow. Which, which could be a bad thing, right? Yeah, um, explosive. There is a learning curve regarding how much foil and caustic soda are needed, and this is achieved with practice. Uh, and I think if it was tried to be, to be tried here in the United States, it would be achieved after multiple lawsuits. So <laughs> Yeah, and I was thinking, never dump that in your toilet. <laughs> wow. That, that, Blow that, up that's, the piping. That, like I said, that, that, I really, uh, you know, that, that's wonderful stuff, you know. So don't, don't go to uh, eBay or don't go down uh, to the oh, Harris Teeter and have the florist fill up your balloons. Get some, you know, Reynolds wrap and, and caustic soda, some re anti-return -re valves and... Bob's your uncle. Three cheers. There, there's for there's a new TV program that's going to start in January called Explosions, and these these guys create all these explosions. I wonder how they do that without getting arrested. Oh man, I know that probably won't last long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, Pete. Time for solder smoke mailbag. We got a lot of good mail. Bong. Bong. Okay, VK3HN down there, down under. What a great website he has. Always yes. great stuff. And he put a, a, a an article out on an AM receiver. He built an a an eight band AM receiver. It's on his blog and really cool. The thing that caught my eye, I don't know if it caught yours, but it caught mine. He built a really nice six kilohertz wide ceramic filter at four fifty five KC. Oh, I missed it. Oh man. I said, I want, I want some of those. And he used this particular kind of ceramic filter available in, from this company that will sell you these little ceramic filters. And they are designed to be six KCs wide at 455 KC. You can't get them up here. DigiKey, Mauser, no, no, they don't have them. I tried. Only from this one company in Australia. Hmm. I ordered them from Australia. I just went to their online site and said, hey, I'm way up here on the other side of the world, but I'd like to have these things, so can you send me six of them? He, he used them by putting, uh, I think, uh, like 10 picofarads between the two of them. So he put, oh, he made so a network. He made two of them, two filters, so he got steeper, steeper, curve, steep, steeper skirts. But it sounded really nice, and it, it's, it sounds like it could really be the heart of a nice AM receiver. And I have one, my HRO-ish receiver here. 
My problem is I've tried to cascade 455 IC, uh, 455 IF, kill the circle, IF cans to come up with the AM filter, but it's always been less than completely satisfactory. So I'm, I'm waiting for the package from, from Australia. And uh, I look forward to that. He also has a nice AM detection circuit in there, which is another problem. A lot of times people think you could just use a diode, throw a diode in there and, and Bob's your uncle. But I found that to be less than satisfactory too. So three cheers for th VK uh, 3HN. And Pete, I will send you a couple of these ceramic uh, filters should you want to, to get into the uh, AM world. There you go. There you go. Um, our friend Dean, we, we mentioned right down the road, lives here in, in Fairfax County with us. Uh, and he is wanted to, wants to get into home brewing and he's building a, a Michigan Mighty Might. I sent him a, 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 a crystal. <laughs> they charged him $3.75 in return postage to get it across the county. Wow. Three miles. Thank you very much. You know um, something that Dean has in his house that's absolutely amazing? What's that? He's got a Seaberg Model K jukebox. I didn't catch uh, that. Oh, man. He he sent me a little video. Oh, man. What a sound coming out of that machine. Oh. All right. Oh, man. He's just got amazing. Home, he's you got, can just sit there all day potential. long, crank up those old records, and solder away. All right. You'd be, you'd be in good shape. Um, uh, our, our good friend Peter, VK2EMU, points out that we all have to be careful to put capital H in Hertz. It's yes. K, capital H, Z. Z. Yeah. M, capital H, Z for Heinrich Hertz. Uh, yes. I, I agree. And it, I, I, joke, I joke with Peter, it, it hurts me every time I see yes. that. It's Hertzian waves. That's right. Yeah, I, I've been reading about Heinrich Hertz, amazing guy. And, the, and you got to read the Hemholtz Resonator, Heinrich Hertz and Hemholtz. What did Hemhold do? Yeah, the resonator. That's that's where he had this piece of copper tubing, and he found out that it would, if you send out signals, it would resonate. It's part of the detection. Read about the Hemholtz resonator. I was reading last night that when Hertz first started getting receiving the um, the electromagnetic waves, he was just using another basically circular coil with a little spark gap between it, and he was seeing the sparks Hem fly between Hemholtz it. Hemholtz resonator. He noticed, this was amazing, he noticed that it worked better if light was shining on the coil on the point where it was being detected. Why would that be? It not, not just that he would see it better, it was actually working better if it was illuminated by light. And they think uh, that this was the first, the, the photoelectric photo, effect. Fo photoelectric effect, yeah. This, this was maybe the first discovery of the photoelectric effect. Amazing. Yeah. Hertz died in his 30s. He got this really weird disease and died very very young wow you imagine what he could have what he could have come up with yeah um ben kc9 dlm has sent us some nice uh, tutorials on the use of lt spice very good thanks yes. for that ben uh steve silverman who, who has been contributed so much over the years to the to the solder smoke podcast reminded us of a of a receiver project that that had had escaped my uh, my mind here for a while the electroluminescent receiver oh Remember yeah that the leds yes with leds and glowing lights i i i really like the idea of the electroluminescence when i was first building my bidexes i i said you know that there are diodes in there that switch the voltage when you go from t to r 
and my question to Farhan was, can I use light emitting diodes at this at these, this point in the circuit so the whole thing will change from like red to green when you throw the TR switch? And Farhan advised against it. I I I I, I want to bring electroluminescence into my rigs, but we, we discussed this one and uh, we actually got in, in contact again with our good friend uh, Allison KB1GMX. It was great to hear from her again. And she yeah. offered some thoughts on the uh, the topology and architecture of the electroluminescent receiver. This thing's available as a kit, still oh. available as a kit. So if any of you folks are interested, just check it out. I think it was like uh, eighty five bucks or something for the kit, but it, it looks it looks really interesting. Yeah. Hey, uh, b- before you move on about electroluminescence, I I wanted to add a bit of that flare to my KWM four. And if you look at the videos, when you transmit a bright blue Giuliano blue, cool LED comes on the front panel. Oh, man. You got to have those lights when you go to TR. I remember I was building an 80-meter double sideband rig back in London, and Billy was sitting with me in the shack, and he said, well, you know, we're talking about the TR switch, and he says, shouldn't the light come on? I said, yes, indeed. So I threw a big, bright uh, red LED on the front panel, and I threw that switch. Yeah, So cool. Good point. Yes, we need some electroluminescence. Three cheers for for electroluminescence. Um, Linden, N0LFX, is back to listening to the podcast. Fine business, old man. Thanks very much for listening. Um, Steve, M0KOV, built a pill bottle variometer. Ooh, yes. Well on his way towards an N0WVA Regen Armstrong receiver. Um, Steve, we saw the variometer. It looked really good. But the question is, did you get the regen going? Please let us know. We want to know. Yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a really cool rig. This got a lot of attention on the Solder Smoke blog. Anthony, VU3JVX, homebrewed a Microbit-X. Oh, yes, yes. Beautiful stuff. Very and he's nice. got the, yes. he, And he's got that Nexteon screen. I want a Nexteon screen, Pete. Yes. Should I do that? Nice. Yeah, well... Y- it's not just the screen itself. Of course, uh, Jack Purdom has some really great software for that. The Jack L board. Yeah, the Jack L board. Yeah. I mean, the screen itself, unless you got the software, just going to sit there. But uh, there's software available. So, yes. I'm gonna, I think I'll, I'll go with that in, in the new year. That might be one of my projects. But he, he built this thing. And Anthony, he told this really great story about how and why and when he built this rig. He, he had, You know, he's a... He's a software engineer in Bangalore, and there's a bit of a downturn, I think, in the in the in the uh, in the IT market in that area. And he found himself out of work, and he was kind of, you know, his wife noticed that he was feeling kind of down, and she said, "Why don't you do something that you've always wanted to have the time to do?" So he thought about it. He followed her advice, and he built the MicroBitX, and it it made him get through a difficult period and with a, with a project to work on. And it's a beautiful project. I think he learned a lot. It's a wonderful rig. And uh, it, he just seems like a, a really wonderful and talented uh, guy there who's got experience now both on the hardware side and the software side. So I, I put it up on the, uh, on the blog. It's there. And if anybody has any IT connections and they're looking for, for uh, a software guy who knows which end of the soldering iron to grab, Keep VU3JVX Anthony uh, in mind, and all the contact information is on on the blog. And thanks for sharing that with us, Anthony. Um, let's see, Leaf WB9IWT. 
I ran into him on on uh, on the air on 40 meters, and this was when I was just tinkering around with my Ubidex. And this is one of those times where uh, kind of a critical comment from a uh, a fellow radio amateur, done in a kind of polite and kind way, can be really useful. You're and 40 he, hertz low. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, he put it nicely, but he said, basically, he said, you sounds like, he said to me, Bill, you sound like you're inside of a tin can, which for me was an immediate indication that I had placed the BFO a little uh, bit too low, yes. right? Or actually, you know, a little bit too high. Too high. Yeah. Too high. And I was, I was cutting off those lows. I need to lower it a bit, right? To, to get some, some of the lower frequencies in there. So I made the adjustment and now I sound at least remotely human. So, no, it sounds actually sounds good now. But thanks, thanks, Lee, for letting me know about that. And my final uh, input here for the uh, for for the mailbag is I was on twenty meters, tuned in around, and you, I Pete, I know you've had the experience where suddenly you hear even before you hear the call sign, you recognize the voice. Was it August? No, I well, I heard August this week too. August from Odessa, I heard him too. But this is an, this is somebody else. This is an old buddy of mine from Azores days, Michael, Echo India Zero, Charlie Lima. He's got this really distinctive, very nice Irish accent. I was going to say that's Ireland, E-I. Amazing guy. I was I was like one uh, F-layer skip away from Ireland when I was in the Azores. And we used to talk all the time on 17 meters, on sometimes on 20. And just an amazing, creative uh, Irish experimenter. Uh, a kind of guy and uh, I, I heard the voice and I said man that's Michael and I waited a couple minutes and I gave him a call and we had this wonderful QSO on 20 meters we caught up the radio gods had spoken and put, oh, us, yes. put us together there on on 20 meters so it was great to talk to Michael again he's doing very very well he's one of these guys he's got so many irons in the fire he's fixing Volkswagens and building airplanes and putting up antennas and great stuff good 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 stuff Pete, that brings us to the conclusion of yet another episode. Of, and of and another year. And another year. That's right. 2019 has been a good year. And as you frequently pointed out, 2020 for home brewers is going to be even better because more good oh, stuff absolutely. is coming out. It's a great time to be in the solder melting game. Yeah. And I, I think the um, perhaps uh, when I looked at the Microbitics version 6, that's just the point of the spear. I, I think that there's there's stuff brewing on benches right now that since that's hit the market, I think uh, he said the initial run was 200. He's probably sold out by now. And that uh, 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 another batch should be coming uh, right after Christmas. I that's saw the it, point of the spear. Uh, I, people are going to see that. That's a, That's got a touchscreen display on it, <laughs> Bill. It's, it's not it's, just a Microbitics version 6. It's really it's cool. It's one with a touchscreen display, and it's got all those options, and it's it's in a really nice uh, sort of cube-like box. It's it's just it, aesthetically, it's it's got the right feel. It's got the right size. They got a, point of the spear. And point things of the spear. Have, thing, you know, things change so fast. This is something Farhan points out. Since the introduction, since since my version three Ubetics came out, now they've got much better forty-five megahertz filters available economically. So if you look at my version three, the the forty-five megahertz filter consists of one crystal and two coils. But now they have a real filter in there at forty-five megahertz, so it's no longer fifteen kilohertz wide. 
it makes it much more effective. And they've taken care of all the the spur and harmonic program yeah. problems that they had with version three. So progress. Hey, you know, but uh, I, I got to mention this too. I saw an interview with Hans Summers uh, and uh, on another podcast, uh, I think the ICQ podcast, check it out. Very nice fellows who run the ICQ podcast. Um, and they had an interview with him. I think it was at either, I think it was at Dayton or it might've been Friedrichshafen. You know, Hans is living in Turkey now. Yes. But, um, he was talking about the QCX, the CW rig, the little phasing rig. How many of those do you think he sold, Pete? Well, when I last heard, it was over five thousand. Over seven thousand now. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, I mean that's a and that, those 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 are kits. You have you have to actually solder the the surface mount parts on yeah. there. And not only that, it's CW. So that's a, that's an amazing indication of the level of interest in this kind of homebrew ham radio. Hans is, continues to work on the QSX, which is the, the SDR rig, but he's proceeding cautiously. He's, he's, he said that he wants to make sure that he has it all right before he puts it on the market, and I think that's a very responsible thing for him, him to do, but the world is anxiously awaiting. If he sold 7,000 kits for a CW rig, how many single sideband rigs do you think he's going to sell especially oh. if the if the price point is somewhere in the i think what he said 150 bucks or something like yeah. that yeah yeah stay tuned my friend 2020 gonna be by, a good by the way good year while we're we're talking about 2020 i i've been i i tour through ebay looking for new new products are being offered and what amazes me is two countries uh aside from china where you would expect this to happen were uh, ham radio kits are starting to show their way to eBay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Turkey, Turkey, and Ukraine. Wow. Yeah. That's really and interesting. I, I'm talking, I'm, and these are like sideband transceiver kits. Hmm. Great stuff. Who knew? Who Who would have thought? But here no. we are. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. Well, these guys, you know, you got these younger people that, uh, you know, take the, take the software like water, and ne next thing you know, you got these radios. Uh, I, th I think the Microbitx is a serious competitor to some of these uh, radios that are being offered from China that are in the four or $500 range. Yeah. So here's half price. Great, great stuff. Hey, yeah. I was just looking through the notes, and one thing I, I have forgotten to mention, and I'm going to get it in here before we wrap up, another great thing that's coming out of the GQRP Club and I'm not usually a big fan of these kind of specialty, special event call signs and all that kind of stuff. They're always kind of hard to, to figure out how there's too many numbers in there and all that. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But they have got a special call sign for the club. Oh, and, yeah. And they're using it. G5LOW. Yes. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And they're, they're authorizing people to use it and everything else. I wonder, will it be possible to have kind of g5 low portable w4 or portable w6 Ooh, as an idea yeah or i think Dayton, i think N N N N6 qw should be the first authorized station in the united states of america uh well i don't <laughs> know about that but i i was thinking maybe maybe those guys could tie that in with fdim and dayton there you go. There you go. G five LOW. That would, but a yeah. great a, a great idea, and it's good to see that. Yeah. That so so much that the, the the tradition of innovation and uh, 
and kind of a ham radio spirit established by George Dobbs continues over there at the GQRP Club in Spratt. Three cheers for them. All right, Pete. We have, as they used to say on the uh, on the uh, the uh, click and clack, the Tappet Brothers, the car, the car with the car guys with the, the, the yeah. Uh, yeah. You've wasted Tom and a, Ray. What was Tom it? Tom and Ray. Bob and Ray. You've wasted another perfectly good hour. Hour <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and 23 minutes, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we better wrap this up. Uh, I'll say uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody who celebrates it. And uh, happy holidays to everybody else here as we go through the winter season. Hope the winter's kind to you. And uh, happy, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And happy holidays to you, Pete. Yes. Uh, the very same to you from the left coast here. And Looking forward to uh, 2020. Uh, lots of things are going to be happening in that year. Lots of technology and lots of world events uh, as well. So uh, you have a, a great holiday. Enjoy it with your family. Are the kids home yet? Or are they uh, everybody's yet to home? Come? Everybody's home here. We're having a great time. Oh, hey, that's terrific. Enjoy. Okay. Anyway, seven three from the West Coast. Seven three from Northern Virginia. Ciao. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!